Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I'd like to welcome you to Kava the Podcast, your source of inspiration, empowerment, and profound insights into the art of Kava. Now, you might be wondering, what is Kava? It hails from Hebrew, and it embodies the concept of waiting with eager anticipation and hopeful expectancy. In a world that constantly seems to rush us, Kava the Podcast invites you to pause, to embrace the beauty of anticipation, and to explore the profound wisdom found in waiting. In a world where every child deserves love, care, and a place to call home, there's a beacon of hope called Kaval the Storehouse. Kaval the Storehouse goes beyond walls. It is more than just a store. It's a lifeline for children in foster care. Step into Kaval and you'll find a world of compassion, dedication, and support. Every donation you make at Kava helps fund essential resources and programs. From appropriate clothing to vital services, Kava is there every step of the way, ensuring no child is left behind. Kava, where every child's dream is nurtured, where hope is restored, and futures are shaped. Join us in making a lasting difference. Donate to Kava today. That's Q-A-V-A-H, the storehouse. Because together we can empower these children, offer hope in the waiting, and give them essential resources they deserve. Kava, the store that changes lives. The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guests' thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Good evening. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. The victims were in airplanes or in their offices secretaries, businessmen and women, military and federal workers, moms and dads, friends and neighbors. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. Like many of us, the memory of September 11, 2001 is etched in our minds. On that fateful day, I was at home with my two young daughters while my husband took our oldest to school. Our upcoming guest, however, had a remarkable experience on that day as he found himself in the presence of history while accompanying President Bush. Dan Bartlett, who happened to be filling in for his boss, Karen Hughes, offers a unique perspective on the events. It seems that Dan's life has been marked by being in the right place at the right time, often without even realizing it. When I got put in some of these jobs at very early ages in my life, I was probably too naive to, to mm. understand that I didn't deserve to be there. I, <laughs> so I just took advantage of them. And, and, and I, and I, you know, I was, I believe the youngest communications director wow. to ever serve in the white house at, wow. I think it was at, at 33. Most of the people in the room with me could be my parents, could be right. my parents, if not right. older. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing in yeah. here? I grew up with, I was the youngest of four 
I was, we had, I have an older sister and I have two brothers and we moved. Um, what's interesting is that I've, I'm very much identified as a Texan, but I was actually born in Waukegan, Illinois. And my parents moved here um, when I was about six months old okay. and we moved to Dallas. Parents both were families and grew up uh, and were from Illinois. I think it was a bit of my dad trying to escape um, the shadows of my mom's family. And they said, we're going south. We're going to Texas. In fact, this must have been, this was in 1971, uh, 72 timeframe. And, um, and then they, like I said, originally in Dallas, um, moved to Rockwell, decided they wanted to live out in the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, and my parents didn't think they could have children at first. So actually my first, my oldest brother and sister adopted. Okay. And you hear this a lot. It's kind of common um, that the, um, after you have adopted children, it kind of takes the pressure off. And then my mom had two uh, biological kids within 10 months of each other. Wow. And so we, there were four of us within about six years. So, and my brother and I are 10 months apart. Wow. So Irish, Irish twins. Is right. The right. And my earliest recollections is probably playing with my brother in our house in Dallas. I know we had a swimming pool and they were always so fearful of us falling in the pool. Mm. And I remember just playing, you know, those early days of being in the backyard um playing with uh i have a brother who was very um close in age we we moved to rockwall when we were going into the second grade okay we grew up um i grew up our first place we lived for most of when i was young was out um north of town um past the shores that way it's all been developed now but at the time that was um very much in the country Mm -hmm. and I, you know, my earliest, you know, my fondest memories is just, Mm. you know, being out on motorcycles or bikes or that, just exploring with uh, my buddies from, from that time frame, Chris Burks and uh, the Burks family lived down the road from us Uh and, um, and Ted Lyons, who was a longtime state senator from, from Rockwall, Um, the Mark, the Avra twin, there was Mark and Andy Avra. There were the other, see, there yes. was, everybody thought there were two sets of twins because they were <laughs> twins as well the same, right? Right. So there was a whole, there was a whole gaggle of us that lived out that way. And just the, the freedom, I just, yes. remember, you know, the, the freedom of exploration that, yes. you know, we would never give our children now, but, um, yes. you know, that, that part of, of my childhood is, is, you know, that I, I think about the most. We, I remember during, so when it was hunting season, mm-hmm. we would be in the field yep. hunting and we'd see the bus coming and we'd run and, <laughs> and store our guns in the garage and jump on the bus with camo on. I mean, it was, um, and it wasn't thought of as being crazy or anything. It was, you know, it was, so yeah, it was a, that kind of independence that came right. with that. Obviously at the time it didn't appreciate it as right, much as we did right. looking back on it. And, and you know what? I think those boys learned how to take care of things. I'm sorry. Learned how to take care of things in ways that they don't necessarily now. Because if their four-wheeler broke down, they had to fix it. and Or oh, yeah. get it home somehow. <laughs> um, so. There's no doubt about it. It was, uh, you, you had to 
problem solved. You had to right. fix things. You right. had to be creative. We yes. had three wheelers, four wheelers, go karts. Yes. yes. You name it. And we would you'd be Frankenstein looking beautiful. <laughs> we, you know, something would break on one and you'd steal a tire from the other or, right. or whatever. And, and you just made do. Or we built forts and had fort boards. And, yes. you know, those yes. types of skills, uh, you know, it pains me to. And we all also worked a lot too. Uh-huh. We had, uh, right. And, you know, you think about, I remember a lot of the jobs I did growing up and that, that feeling of being just bone tired. Yes. Um, and uh, it's, it's something that probably motivates me today because yeah. you do when you're like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Right. Um, I mean, I, um, so yeah, it's uh, all those things are, you know, when you don't look at it that way, when you're doing it, that how formative they can become, but they certainly are. I graduated Rockwell High School in 1989. Okay. My sister, my the oldest sibling, uh, Karen, she graduated in 1984. Right. My, um, and then my brother, my older brother, graduated in 1987. Okay. So we were 84, 87, and two of us in 89. So pretty wow. close together. And and then, but, you know, I was, you know, and it was interesting. I, we were one of the, my parents divorced when I was going into seventh grade. Okay. And, um, and my dad moved out of Rockwall. So my mom raised, uh, the four of us, um, from there on for the most part. And we lived out in the country. We ultimately moved, we did end up moving into town when I was in high school, going into high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's the four, like I said, I'm the youngest of four. Wow. Um, and, uh, unfortunately none of, you know, none of my siblings are such living live in Rockwell anymore, but uh, I Mm -hmm. still stay in touch with a lot of my friends. In addition to raising her four children, Dan's mother dedicated herself to supporting and empowering other children in need. She held the position of executive director at the Creative Learning Center in Oak Cliff, Texas, where she played a crucial role in providing a secure and nurturing educational space for gifted and talented children from underprivileged communities. Your mom um, is an amazing woman. She did a lot, um, not only like parenting for children so close in age, but then she did a lot of um, work for children advocacy, right? She did. She was a, a, a CASA advocate, right? a court-appointed special advocate in Dallas. Um, she basically, she ran a school for gifted and talented underprivileged children in South Oak Cliff. I can't tell you how many times and then she's a single mom at this time wow um that she would get calls um you know middle of the night the school getting broken into um uh, they used to have to i remember early going going to i guess maybe we were we had a, a break at our school or something we weren't in school so i went with her one day to see what she did and the first thing you did when you got to the school was to survey the playground to make sure there weren't any empty bottles of beer or syringes or, wow. or uh, drug paraphernalia. And so it was in a really rough part of town in South Dallas, but it was so fascinating to see once you got inside the building and see just the hope and, and curiosity and spark of, of young children, even those who are in, who are in a difficult environment. And my mom, ran that school for many years. That's uh, awesome. It was always very inspir- uh, inspiring. 
So what are some of the ex- significant experiences you faced that you'd like to share? Well, um, <laughs> I, I've, um, I've been unbelievably privileged to have had a front row seat in a lot of things that have happened in the last, you know, 25 years. Um, I, I found my way into a life in politics that I never anticipated. Um, it read basically, you know, I was that my exposure to, um, to politics when I was young was essentially my, one of my best friends, Chad Crawford's dad was the, the county right. judge. Yeah. And, yeah. And I remember campaigning for his reelection. Yes. And, and then Chris Burks, you know, being a good friend of mine, his, his, and Ted Lyon, his uh, junior, his dad being a state senator. Right. And, and that really was when I was in Austin going to school in, in Austin at the University of Texas. He, uh, and I wanted to stay in Austin for the summer. My mom's like, we got to have a job or you're coming back to Rockwell. And, <laughs> and so I got a job at the state capitol, oh. more like just for the fact that I could stay there. And Ted had helped get me that job uh, as an intern uh-huh. um and i kind of got the political bug then and you know they somewhat say things turn to be the rest turns into history and it is at this point that dan's life takes an unexpected turn unraveling in ways he never could have anticipated i was uh, working at the capitol uh, this would have been in 1991 92 time frame Mm-hmm. And um, and a friend of mine took who I met there got a job for this really obscure guy named Carl Rove, oh. who uh, <laughs> has now turned out to be right. a pretty uh, a pretty well known uh, political consultant. He at the time was a consultant in Texas, and I didn't know who he was from Adam, but he was paying more, and so <laughs> I I they needed more help, and ended up going working for him, and he was doing some work on the Bush Quail campaign in 1992, and. And, you know, one of the more unfortunate aspects of he was doing a lot of he was a Republican consultant. And at that time, this was right at the at the. The precipice of Texas politics changing, I mean, we had a lot of what was called yellow dog Democrats right. or conservative Democrats. And Ted Lyon from Texas was one of those. Right. But we were it was right on the, the verge of, of change going on. And and um, and he ended up losing his Senate race to Florence Shapiro. Mm. It was a mayor out of Plano. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that yes, name. Yes, I and, do. And so, and Carl was her what, consultant. And it became, you know, here I am, the guy who got me a job into politics. And then I went to go work for the consultant who was working for his opponent. And it, you know, just, it was mm. one of my early lessons about, you know, politics is mm. personal. And, and it, you know, and that, that was a, that was not, and it was a very, nasty campaign mm. just to be honest there was there was a lot of mudslinging on both sides it was my first kind of exposure to how you know the rough and tumble world of politics right but to fast forward i mean look i i probably traveled to 40 plus countries i've sat in on meetings with president vladimir putin i was on air force one with president bush on 9 11 mm. the the types of experiences that i've been afforded are just I, they're surreal even to this right. day I, mean, I know there was a lot of attention most recently with the 20-year anniversary of 9 11 right and to this day it, it still boggles my mind that i was i played a very small role in that or was a participant in a in a, in a pretty extraordinary way and 
I look at these pictures and I, the only image that comes to my mind is, is, you know, from the famous movie Forrest Gump and there's all mm -hmm. the pictures that Forrest <laughs> is in these, these famous pictures. Right. I, feel like, I felt like Forrest Gump in these pictures. <laughs> I had no business oh. being in these pictures. Wow. Um, and so, it, you know, there was all these types of kind of pinch yourself moments. Uh, right. Incredible. Because I was, I mean, I, and the only reason I have to say this, because I know we have a lot of mutual friends and family yeah, and they will right. validate that I was not in an extraordinary student. <laughs> I was, I was called what I would like to uh, say is a late bloomer. Okay. Um, I, you know, and, and there's something to be said for that. And, and it's right. one of the things that has stuck with me is that it's never too late to start mm. getting serious about things. Right. And I, and it, it was, you know, I always did enough to get by. Right. I didn't make great grades, but I made good enough grades. Right. I didn't, I didn't knock it out of the park on my, SAT, but I did right. enough, and it was always kind of just enough to 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 keep moving on. Mm. And probably the best thing that happened to me in college was my fraternity got kicked off campus, and so <laughs> and you know these opportunities presented themselves, and I right, and and it wasn't I didn't have a grand plan, right? I wasn't, and some of the things I look at young people now is that I'm I marvel by their ambition, but I also worry a bit by that they there's almost too much expectations and rigidity right. that I need to be at this point right. at this place I need to if I'm yes. not progressing here and I'm not there then something's wrong I've got to I'm, they're always and sometimes you can't dictate the path the path has to take you yes. on it and you've got to be able to to ride with that and 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 since I didn't have this really drawn out plan or vision for where I was headed when I got put in some of these jobs at very early ages in my life. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing in yeah. here? And, <laughs> and so there was, you know, but wow, the old adage of fake it till you make it, there was right. probably some of that going on. Right. Wow. Okay. So, um, being in a meeting with Vladimir Putin, what in the world is that like? Extraordinary. You know, Putin was a, uh, he could be everything you think he is, he was and is. He, mm -hmm. very, he can be intimidating. He's also very charming. He's right. very cunning. Um, mm. The early times that I met him, with him, he, he generally did not know, he, he didn't speak English very well. In the later parts of the relationship, he, he could speak English, but he acted like he couldn't. Um, mm. But there's... Um, so the meetings were very confrontational, mm. very, um, you know, they, he and President Bush had a way of, of working with each other, mm -hmm. um, but they, they, it was tense and mm. it was unpredictable. Most of these kind of big meetings are almost pre-scripted. Mm -hmm. uh, like when you meet with the Chinese or you meet with, you have a pretty good idea what's going to happen. You never right. really knew that to be the case with President Putin. He would take the conversations in very, in very unpredictable ways. Wow. And um, which made them obviously very fascinating. Like I said, I've, you know, I had the chance to sit in on a lot of meetings with state leaders and international leaders, uh, President Hu Jintao when he was president of China to wow. sitting in, in on the Middle East peace talks uh, to uh, uh, you know, as a, somebody who grew up Catholic, I got to meet two popes. Oh Pope my John goodness! Paul. Yeah, there's a. Um, I remember my wife was 
Um, this would have been in 2004 when my, my mom, my wife was pregnant with our, our first two boys are twins and she couldn't sleep. And I was traveling, I was overseas with the president and she kind of turns on C-SPAN. She can't sleep at night because the kid, you know, she's right. got to, this was yes. near term and she's incredibly uncomfortable and she right. turns on <laughs> TV and there I am looking up to, to about to meet the Pope Jean Paul. But it also meant that he would witness one of the greatest tragedies of our nation. In the upcoming episode of Kava, Dan takes us on a remarkable journey as he recounts his experience aboard Air Force One during the events of September 11, 2001. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Kava the Podcast. Be sure to download episodes and subscribe to Kava wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode filled with inspiring stories and unwavering determination. If you'd like to become a sponsor, have a story of hope that you'd like to share, or know someone whose journey deserves to be heard, we invite you to reach out to us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Until next time, may your journey be filled with renewed hope, and may you continue to find strength in the stories we share.
And that concludes another captivating episode of Kaval the Podcast. Thank you for joining us on this remarkable journey of hope and resilience. We hope these stories have touched your heart, reminded you of the strength within, and inspired you to keep seeking hope even in the face of adversity. If you have a story of hope you'd like to share or know someone whose journey deserves to be heard, we invite you to reach out to us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Together, we can continue to amplify the voices that illuminate the path of hope for others.